Let's, uh, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. Found in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I, I do believe in the sovereignty of God, and for some particular reason this morning, uh, He's drawn all of us here uh, to hear this particular word. So may He use it um, for His glory and for our edification, our sanctification, our mortification, our vivification, all the occasions. Uh, this is God's word. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is, has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, God. Uh, Lord Jesus, will you bless uh, our time together? Lord, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight because you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I really love fishing. Uh, it's one of my favorite hobbies. Uh, and in particular, I love, um, I go out on the river gorge a lot just because it's easy. I got a little John boat bass fish a little bit, but I really love standing in a stream trout fishing. And uh, I don't know what this says about me as we continue this illustration as I thought about this later, but I really love to take whatever lure, I usually don't bait fish a lot, but mostly lures uh, that have been crafted and shaped, and uh, sometimes I tie my own flies, and I like to think like, oh man, what if I could get a fish to grab what I've tied on this hook. How cool would that be? So I, you know, I, I throw a lure out there and, you, and I start, you know, twitching it and moving it, making it look like something real, making it look like something that a fish is really going to love. And I don't know what's going on under the water. It's part of the fun of fishing that you just don't know. You can't see what's happening. Um, but I know that I've caught a lot of fish, and I know that one thing I've done is when I've thrown that lure out there, I've enticed that trout or that bass to come out from the rock or behind the stump or whatever it is, and the bait is so alluring to him. It's so enticing. 
It's like, I want that little crawfish, or I want that little nymph, or I want that little lizard, whatever it is, and he can't resist it. And he runs out, and, and the way a fish takes in food, it's just a, they just suck, and they blow air out through their gills, and they suck the bait in, and then, boom, they clamp down on it. And then you know what you do, especially if you're a bass fisherman. It's so fun, because you just... Boom! You just get to yank the heck out of it and just pull it all the way through. Take that hook and hook it right into their mouth. And then I start reeling them in. And it's so fun when you get them to the bait. Fish, just so you know, if you're sensitive to animals, and scientifically, fish can't feel the pain that's going on in their lips, so it's okay. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, so... Um, no, that's true. That's true. Uh, um, so if, as I think about that illustration, it's, it's really uh, what James is warning us about. And that's why I'm like, this is a weird illustration. That means I'm somewhat like the evil one, luring and tempting fish to grab something. Um, but it, but it's, uh, I love the words that he uses are, are lured and enticed and desire and those kind of things is exactly what a fish is doing when he sees something that he really wants and he wants to go after it and grab a hold of it. So part of what we're getting at here is what Thomas Chalmers calls the expulsive power of a new affection. And I think that's what James is getting at. He's getting at this desire level, and that's really, when, it, when you first of all consider this, I want us to, I want us to look, as, as Jimmy set up so well, that James, Jesus is his brother, and James most assuredly is considering his brother in this exhortation. I almost uh, could not get through this first line, this first verse. Just think about Jesus for a moment. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Jesus remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This, this is like a miniature interpretation of Philippians 2. Jesus, who took on flesh, who was crucified, who was raised again, and Jesus seated him at the right hand, crowned him with glory and honor. Uh, it's, it's this beautiful picture of what do we think of when we think of someone who's steadfast under trial? The first thing we sh that should come to mind, the first person that should come to mind is Jesus. And I think James has Jesus in his heart, in his mind here, because he is the one who ultimately stood the test and received the crown of life from his father. So, what does it look like to be steadfast under trial? Let's watch our brother and see. So we're going to look at the gospel in a minute and watch Jesus under trial. I think, first of all, let me hit on just this crown of life thing. Um, it's a reward for steadfastness for one who does not allow the desires of the flesh to supplant his first love. Uh, 
It's not a, a reward that we seek after, but it's the reward that the Father gives those who are faithful. And he's getting at this desire that love of God is, is really crucial. The crown itself is Jesus. Uh, the, the crown of life that we receive is this eternal life that's promised by the Father. And yes, you, sitting here, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you remain steadfast under trial in the whole perseverance of your life, you will receive a crown. You are a son and daughter of the King and you will receive a crown. That's pretty sweet. Pretty amazing. That's how much God thinks of you. That's how strongly his affections towards you are. So let's, let's just do, take a few minutes and think about the desires and affections of our hearts. Uh, what we love, we go after. What that bass loves is that lure, that food, potential food, and he goes after it. What our heart loves, we go after. So really in this, I, think, I love the way James does this because it's almost like if this was a movie screen, a movie we were watching, he kind of puts things in slow motion frame by frame. So look with me at, at, at verse 13, and let's see what it means to hold steadfast under trial to uh, the one who God promises uh, this crown of life to those who love him. And we'll go back to verse 13 in just a minute, but verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So this frame by frame, really the only place that we have in Scripture where it's really clearly laid out for us, what does temptation look like in your life? And to this morning, I want, I want us to just slow down and think about this for a moment, that the the leading of this to death, we can throw this into kind of a theological category and say, yes, we understand from Romans that all sin leads to death. But I don't think that's what James is getting at here. I think what James is getting at is that when you and I fall into temptation over and over and over again in our lives, if we're not steadfast in looking at the ways in which we're going to look at for Christ to pull us out of those things then what slowly begins to happen is, is heart rot. Uh, I, I took a forestry class in college, and um, I have several trees on my property that I think this is going on, but they're, they're trees that look alive on the outside, and they still continue to produce fruit, but a forester can take an instrument and drill into the tree, and as he's drilling in, this tiny little drill just to check the core of the tree and the age of the tree, and at a certain point, if, if a tree has a disease called heart rot, he'll hit the middle of that and it'll just go, it'll slip in. And he pulls out and there's just goo on the inside. There's layers of hardness on the outside, but in the middle, it's rotten. And I think that's what James is getting at. When, when we're enticed and allured by sin and we continue to let it manifest itself in our life, it's going to lead to heart rot. Now, I've mentioned in here many times, and I know many of you expressed your dislike of this, um, 
But pornography is a fine, ex- is, is a perfect example of this. It leads to heart rot. Not only rots, rots relationships, but it leads to the danger of your soul, the affection of your soul being captured by something that God didn't design. So it's very dangerous. So I want, I want to talk to you just really this morning that the dangers of, or just examining our desires. Um, how do I, how do I, you know, this, this heart rot syndrome and this desire, how, sometimes we look back at like life and we go, man, how did I get here? Uh, and it just started with something little. But over time, it grew. It's kind of like all of us on Signal Mountain hate kudzu, right? I mean, I hate kudzu. I, I battled it. I battled it for 10 years on my property. Um, but it's like if you don't go after it and stay after it and stay after it and stay after it, it will win. And so I think part of what James is getting at when he's talking about this progression of sin, if there's a sin in your life this morning that you're just not going after, and you're just kind of hum, ho-hum about it, right? The danger is that it can lead to overtaking your life. And, and James has given us a clear warning in this. So I want to ask you a, a really, really good question. What or who do you love? And, along with that, what does your heart desire? Like, really think about that question. It's one of the questions that will go out in the email later. What does your heart desire? And I think it's so important for us to answer that question because it's not going to benefit you to make up an answer that you believe is the right answer but it's not really the answer that your heart is moving towards. So, left alone, this question uh, will be answered in a myriad of ways in our culture. What does your heart desire? I think is what James is aiming at, this reality of, man, our hearts are prone to go after things. And when he says, uh, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Isn't it interesting? You think uh, deep within, right? Take the responsibility uh, of looking and asking that question, that really hard question, what do I really desire out of life? I think sometimes desire is really hard to get at. Uh, When you think about the pace of our lives, and I'm going to illustrate this in a moment, Uh, desire is really hard to get at because we don't take the time to get at the deepest desires of our heart. We're just so hustled and hurried and rushed, we don't really take the time to do it. Let me just answer uh, verse 13. It's a really helpful, uh, I think James is uh, really helpful here. And I think what he's getting at is... um, Here's my interpretation of it. When he says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. I think, I think James is saying, take responsibility for your sin. Don't blame God for it. Um, we hear this now, especially in our culture, in a sexual uh, revolution we're under right now. Right? God made me this way. And God doesn't bring evil into people's lives. God doesn't tempt someone to evil. He doesn't tempt someone. And James is just being really clear right here when he says God cannot be tempted by evil and he himself tempts no one. Because the logical conclusion of this is, and, and maybe it's not the sexual issue that we're dealing with in our culture, but when you're tempted, when I'm tempted, one of my initial responses is not to take responsibility for that, but blame it on my past. Um, uh, maybe uh, for you, you who have siblings in here, my brother made me do it. Uh, my sister made me do it. Um, the logical conclusion is really that we're self-preserving uh, our hearts. And so we don't long for, uh, take, to take responsibility, and, and James just wants to make it clear this is uh, our responsibility as fallen humans to see that God, who he'll later say, has no variation or shadow in him. He does not tempt to evil. Okay, so let's uh, notice how James points out this, this progression, some, some of the quick progressions. Um, so let's slow it down. Let's, let's take a minute and look, how do we get at the desire level? So let me, I want to I show you something that I've just been thinking on lately. If I can share screen here. Um, when we, we read Matthew uh, chapter 4, Jesus' temptation. Okay, let's just take the first temptation, for example. Satan comes to Jesus and says, hey, let's make bread. Uh, making bread. What is, what is Satan promising in that? He's promising Jesus that you'll have life. Like you need physical sustenance. Uh, I've really been wrestling with like this whole idea of James saying the desire and Jesus desires. I haven't quite concluded that, so I'm not going to expound on that too much. It's really hard to, to grab at. Um, at that. What is Jesus' desire here? I do think he had in the fullness of his humanity. What was his desire? Question. Yeah, food. How long had he been, how long had he been going? 40 days. 40 days. Okay, just describe for me what, what you think. Incarnate with Jesus for a moment in the wilderness. What do you think it was like to go without food for 40 days? Somebody just said, dude. <laughs> I don't know who that was, but weak. Yeah. What else? Okay. Yeah. What about what? Yeah. Great. Miserable. Miserable. Crabby, <laughs> hangry. Days, you know, 
Yeah. 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 It is astounding, isn't it? And to think that, I love what Justin said earlier, that Jesus wasn't just sustaining himself, but he, he was in the power of the Spirit, driven into the wilderness. And then, as we read at the end, the, the angels attended him. And then it says that in the Spirit, he went into Galilee. So there's like, Jesus is never alone. And can I just say this, like if you're here as a follower of Jesus, like what Justin hit on, you're never alone. In your temptation, it's never just you versus the evil one, or you versus the flesh. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the resurrected power of the Spirit in you to fight against the temptations of the evil one. You're never alone in that. No matter if it's you alone in your house with just your computer, and the temptation hits. The Spirit is with you. You do have the power to say no because God's Spirit is indwelling your heart. You've been united to Christ, and what He hates, your heart longs to hate. What he He was crucified to, you are called to mortify and die to. So, If you look at this temptation that he brings to Jesus, make bread, Jesus, come on, have life. Is this not the very same temptation? I think think this statement is true. You can catch me on it later if it's not. Every sin, every temptation that we're given has a promise of life to it. Every one. And here the promise to Jesus is life, the promise of you know, fill in the blank there for you. What is it down at the bottom there um, for you? What, you know, what's it going to look like for you down here? For Jesus, it's make bread and it's going to bring life. But what does it do? Come on, Jesus, use your power for yourself. Come on, Jesus, act on your own. Come on, Jesus, don't really, you don't really trust the Father. It's been 40 days. But what is it ultimately going to lead to? It's going to lead to death. And that's what James is getting at. That all these temptations that come after us, unchecked, unfettered, they're going to lead to death. So, uh, Owen, uh, I think, Owen, John, I I was relying pretty heavily on this book. If you've ever read John Owen, um, I read it this week and I feel like I just scratched the surface, but Overcoming Sin and Temptation, probably the best thing ever written outside of Scripture on uh, dealing with temptation is John Owen's stuff. But it's like um, reading a dictionary sometimes. It's very dense. So um, Owen says this. He says he likens the lack of our attentiveness to the closeness of which temptation lurks. He says it's like a sailor asleep atop of the mast. That we're so unaware, we're so unattentive sometimes. And then I love this one. He says, gray hairs are here or there upon him, though he perceive it not. (laughs) You and I have these gray hairs. We just don't want to admit that they're there. 
right, this, this, this longing uh, in his heart. So let me, let me just, this is my feeble drawing of an iceberg, kids. Can you figure that out? Yeah. Um, so what is it? Here's what, here's what I believe James is to be getting at here is what does Jesus do in the midst of this temptation? What does Jesus do? We read that passage in Matthew. Yes, thank you. So he, uh, he quotes scripture. What else do we know he's doing? What does it say? He goes in the desert and he's doing what? Fasting. And what always attends fasting? Prayer. Okay. And who else is there with Jesus? The Holy Spirit. All right. So this is Jesus. We're watching Jesus in his, uh, his reaction to this temptation to him. But let's go down to the deep where, where I'm really, really glad Jimmy included that first verse in there or that first part of this temptation. Because what, what, what Satan is getting at is Jesus' desire level right here. Right? But what is Jesus down deep? What is, what is really at the deepest part of him? It's this, he knows that he has the love of his father. So down deep, whatever the desire is that Satan wants to hit Jesus with, what's feeding his desires? Yeah, the love of the father. He's heard the father's voice. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it drove his mission. It drove his life. It drove him in the midst of temptation to say no. He t- Jesus takes all his desires to the Father. So no matter what the temptation, whether it's, hey, Jesus, come up here uh, on the highest part of the temple and jump off. And what that's going to do for Jesus, if, I mean, think about it. If Jesus is at the highest part of the temple and he jumps off, and everybody in Jerusalem is there to see it, and he levitates and lands on his feet. He's proven that he's the son of the God, and there will be power among power, people bowing at his feet in the moment. And this whole desire that Satan is giving him is this desire to promote yourself. And Jesus says, I take that desire to my father, and he says no. Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you worship me. It's really funny, isn't it? Jesus already owns all the kingdoms of the world. And Satan, you know, that's not my desire. My desire, Jesus takes all his desires to the Father. So when I ask you the question, examine the desires of your heart, what do you really want out of life? Like, that's a really serious question. What are your desires? What's your deepest desires? Your deepest longing. What is the affection of your heart? What do you love so deeply that you don't want, if everything else was gone, you'd still hold on to that? And I think it's a super important question to ask. 
There's a Holy Spirit. Uh, let me just pray for a second. I just uh, need your help right now. Amen. Um, I'm just praying, just asking if I should share this example or not. And I will. Um, so years ago, I struggled with lust and what I would call light pornography. Um, and this, please don't see this as, wow, Robert really arrived. This is just a story of what God has done in my heart, his grace. Uh, as I struggled with that, there was, it was the proclivity of my heart was satisfaction, desire, loneliness, whatever that was, acceptance, whatever those, see how hard it is to get at desire level? It takes some really hard, like, root work in your life. Uh, I'm just telling you this story because what has happened in my life as I've jumped in to really get to know Jesus intimately through a study of the Gospels, to know him more deeply. He's become my friend. And so when temptation hits, now, five years of not even a glance at that stuff. Five years. You know why? Because the affection of my heart is for my Savior. The affection of my heart has been drawn to Jesus. I deeply love him. And I'm not just saying that to say, oh, who, look at this guy, he's a preacher. I was a preacher before, five years ago, I've been a preacher longer than that, right? We just gotta quit dancing around this, this issue that's killing marriages and killing lots of people. We just gotta stop and talk about it. So I'm telling you honestly what's happened in my heart. The only thing that has replaced the affection of my heart for lust is an affection for Jesus. And the only way that's going to happen is for you to slow the heck down, slow your life down, work four days a week, spend a day with Jesus, spend time in the Gospels getting to know him deeply and intimately. I want to say quit playing the game of life like you're going to come through it unscathed in the end. You're not. If your heart is not prone towards changing your affections, the desires of your heart, oh man, it's, the scars will be deep. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Sorry, I'm searching for my other drawing here. Um, yeah, so what do, what do we do with this idea uh, that if, if this is, um, I'm just going to put porn here, right? Go up, it brings life. Come on, what's it going to bring? Uh, it's going to eventually bring death, right? So what does Jesus tell me to do with, let's just use porn or sexuality that's distorted in any way, which is what that is? He turns it around and I know y'all have heard of the J-curve that Paul Miller was helpful in, in writing. What's he say? He says, take that, put it here, and die to it. And if you die to it, 
I promise what's going to happen is it will bring life. So the thing that, that if the tendency and the, the temptation in your life that's lured you and enticed you to grab a hold of it, if it's grabbed a hold of you so tightly that it's become the desire of your heart, then some of those desires are not godly desires. And Jesus says, bring those to me and put them to death. I will give you the grace. I love you. I'll give you the grace to die to those things. And when you die to them, resurrection will come. Do y'all see the difference in what's going on in our world in these two drawings? When the culture and the evil one is saying, come experience this and it will bring you life. And the opposite narrative is Jesus says, some of those things that your heart desires, you need to die to. You need to gouge out the eye and cut off the hand. This is how serious Jesus takes it. And when you do, you enter into a union with me and you begin to mimic my life of death and resurrection. That's what Jesus calls you to. Those helpful tools of, you know, what, is, what does your Y chart look like? If you, were to, if you were to plot this, what do I do? What do I desire? Who do I love? What would be your deepest desires? Would you today, a follower of Jesus, Jesus says, let me just give this one last illustration. Be steadfast. If I didn't walk through the woods at my house, Every few weeks, guess who would come back? Mr. Kudzu. Yep. And if I didn't take a little bit of Roundup and just spray it to kill it, it would thrive and take off again. So there's a sense in which the steadfastness of what James is talking about is a lifelong running after, cutting away, cutting it off. And Jesus says this in the garden, in the Gethsemane, which John Owen so eloquently puts, he just says, when he went back to his disciples, he just said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. You have to watch out for the desires of your heart. You have to pray and continually ask the Lord to help you. The Spirit, uh, through prayer, the Spirit kind of spreads His wings and helps you see those areas of your life uh, that, are, that are in the dark corners. So, brother and sister, um, maybe you get down to this heart level here and hear this last thing of what Jesus heard at His baptism. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, he says the same thing to you as a follower of Jesus. He is so patient with you. He's so kind. And he is so pleased with you. Even in the midst of your falling into temptation and the wrestling with it, man, he longs for your affection to be him and him alone. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for uh, just the 
Oh man, the realities of what we face uh, seems like a daunting task. This hard, hard work of getting to the root of where temptation comes from, what our hearts long for. Holy Spirit, thank you that you help us find those roots and you trim them and you cut them out and you pull them up and you throw them into the fire. Lord, protect us from the evil one who longs to come in and bring things into our hearts. These evil desires that that longs to entice and hook us. May we do the hard work every day to change the affections of our hearts through prayer, through your word, and by the power of your spirit and your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.